This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Ben Walker, founder of the accounting firm called Inspire CA. Inspire CA is an innovative chartered accounting and business advisory firm who focus on helping business owners get cashed up so they can pull more money, time, and happiness from their business. Ben talks through transcending the boring tag of accounting by reminding his clients that family is number one. He's into dreaming big, making an impact, but always remembering your roots. These core values drive some pretty interesting business performance measures, such as family holidays taken, social impact, and freedom days for business owners in addition to the financial metrics. Whether you're a startup or mature business, whether you're doing okay or feeling business stress, you'll get a lot of insights and tips from this talk as we unpack things to focus on and things to factor into your business strategy to help build a financially sustainable healthcare or health tech business that ultimately delivers quality healthcare outcomes in a systemized and scalable way. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Ben. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining me. Yeah, really good. Thanks, Yanni. Thanks for having me on the show. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I, I uh, was very keen to get you on, Ben, because you're not an ordinary chartered accountant by my reckoning. Being a former chartered accountant myself, but also just looking at generally where the industry's at, there's a number of things that really stand out about what you do. So before we get into it, maybe just uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your uh, background that leads to where you are now with Inspire CA. Well, um, yeah, I always sort of went towards the the numbers side of things when I was in school, and um, so that sort of came easy to me. And um, yeah, I found myself sort of enjoying accounting, if um, <laughs> if, if that's um, uh, easy to believe. But um, when I left school, I went into this sort of corporate role at one of the big four accounting firms, and and that was great from a training perspective. And and um, you know, they they did a lot of groundwork with us. And um, but the thing I couldn't quite understand was was how the actual model of the accounting world worked. We kept timesheets. We used old crappy software, which took 30 minutes to log in. You know, there, there was a few things that just didn't make sense for me. Oh, by the way, the client paid for that 30 minutes that we weren't doing anything, which is you know, another mind-blowing thing. And, and as, as the years progressed, you know, learning more and more, I, I changed to another firm. And I really saw that the power that accounting can have on someone's life. And, you know, how I saw that practically is we'd, we'd have meetings with the client. They'd come in stressed. They'd have all this worry about their tax or cash flow or things like that. And I was looking at my, my boss at the time and, you know, through an hour, he was able to just work through with the client, calm their nerves, give them strategies. And from my perspective, where I started seeing that fulfillment of how we could really help people. So that's kind of a bit of a, a background into uh, why why I love accounting. And then th- there was new things coming out like Zero uh, and uh, cloud accounting, and you know different models of like fixed pricing or you know making sure you're not getting charged by the hour for accounting. And and I actually just wanted to have a crack at running an, an accounting firm myself. And so yeah, I think it was in 2013 uh, I created the Inspire CA. And um, yeah, it, it was kind of an idea at the time that's turned into something pretty cool. Let's unpack that a little bit. So um, that zero era, 
was mm. uh, really pivotal and, and disruptive for the accounting industry broadly because prior to that, uh, the overwhelming business model was structured around time and materials in terms mm. of how fees were charged from, uh, from accountants. When you launched, did you sort of go straight into a subscription type model? Were you sort of thinking like that, combining that with kind of, you know, consulting services, but kind of working out how to actually build a subscription model for the advisory services? Yeah, absolutely. So it was sort of day one where we threw out the timesheets. You know, we started using zero from day one. And yeah, I kind of designed the the firm from, you know, from the back of house processes to client meetings and client onboarding from a perspective of how would I want to be treated as a client, but also all of our processes got turned inside out and the client saw everything. You know, I don't want to be sitting there using dirty old systems that, you know, and clients paying for stuff that's not of value to them. And, and so, you know, even in packaging that product, we've got the product called It's All Sorted. It's in a tax and accounting subscription that aims to pay for itself with tax savings. And, um, you know, we basically included in that package what a proactive accountant should be doing for their clients. So, yes, it covers things like the tax returns and the BASAs and you know, dealing with ASIC and the ATO. Um, but we wanted to sort of have scheduled proactive meetings throughout the year. So it wasn't just a once a year thing. We wanted to take our clients through tax planning because you know, we know that that's when we can save a client thousands if not tens of thousands and in some case hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in tax so you know every client that that works with inspire they have to get that if you don't want it i'm so happy if you want to use another accounting firm because it's just like you just can't miss that sort of thing well it makes a lot of sense you know because um once you spend a dollar you can't get it back. Sometimes I see with uh, younger business operators, there's that kind of mindset, you know, don't spend money on anything. And, you know, that's a very limiting strategy because um, we have this agreement in our society that um, when people do things for each other, that there's an exchange of money. So what we need to elevate our thinking on is to actually understand what value is being provided from the people that we are asking to help us or to do things with us. And so that does require uh, breaking down that idea of, you know, resisting spending money, but actually being more thoughtful around where the money's being spent and what's coming back in in return. Um, do you talk to your clients through those kinds of ideas as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in terms of our, like, even even take our fees for example. Like, we're definitely not the cheapest, but we're not a you know the the most expensive end of the the market. But um, our conversation usually goes through. Well, you know, let's have a look at what you're paying from an accounting perspective. But have they cost you any uh, overpaid tax that you wouldn't have needed to pay so have you basically paid too much than you than you had to and you know i I remember uh, probably about 18 months ago we had a client where they were paying about six and a half grand a year in accounting fees Um, but the last financial year we had a look at and and that uncovered uh, close to about eighty thousand dollars worth of uh, overpaid taxes that they you know didn't have to pay and when you look at a cost of, you know, six and a half grand in accounting fees, yeah, you know, that's that's not small, but it's not huge. But what's the real cost or the true cost of your accountant? Um, and, um, you know, if you pay us eight <laughs> and, and you're saving, you know, 80 grand in overpaid taxes, then I think we've done a really, really good job there. Totally. I, I think that's a great way to actually um, put that and conceptualise it uh, because it does go towards the value. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're spending less than 10% of the gain that you're making is probably another way to actually put it as well. That's where the accountant mindset is um, key, isn't it? Uh, you know, you sort of, there's a lot of training that goes into thinking that way and actually understanding money, understanding finances, understanding how economic behaviour actually works. So it's not all, all about just sort of, you know, lodging 
paperwork the end of the quarter and uh, at the end of the financial year for tax purposes, is it? There's a, there's a lot more that goes into it. Uh, well, yeah, it depends on what type of accounting firm you are. You know, some, some will just take the numbers from the, the client, enter it into their system and submit it to the ATO. Good accountants will actually take that, uh, you know, have some thinking outside the box and, um, you know, just make sure we're doing everything proactively we can. Uh, there's multiple different ways to treat transactions in a business from a tax perspective, and we want to be making sure we use the uh, the most advantageous, the business owner. And, and so that's the sort of style we sort of uh, approach things with. Um, and, you know, we don't think we've done a great job unless we've saved our clients more money, whether that's in tax savings or uh, saved expenses, prop increase, and we've cost them in accounting fees. You know, that's that's not a good day if we haven't done that. Uh, and thank goodness it doesn't happen often. Yeah, I, do, I totally right. Um, I, I can remember plenty of times where I've been uh, talking to clients about transitioning into digital health systems, for example, and, you know, they've in part got all of these sort of free systems in place. Uh, you know, there's, there was a massive proliferation with um, tech over the years where, you know, you could just subscribe to all kinds of different software. And there was no fee. There was no fee for that software. But um, but then what you have is all this time and motion cost that comes into it where to perform a task, for example, it's actually taking you, you know, more time and effort to actually get that job done, as well as also assuming some of the risk with um, where the data is going and what the data could be doing as well. So they're not cash now. They're not costs in terms of cash terms now, but they're kind of implicit costs in your business because you're paying for people's time. You're paying mm-hmm. for people's effort. And if they're doing tasks that, that you're not paying a subscription for, but you're actually putting, you know, 25% of their time into something that could be done in 5% of the time, well, that's an actual mm. cost. It actually needs to be revealed, you know, and that's where a good analysis and a good advisor actually comes in and says, this is actually the total cost of the way you actually do things. Yeah, yep, no, absolutely. And, you know, I can even think back, and this would be relevant to sort of health practitioners as well, where uh, you know, accounting went from paper-based into, you know, online record-keeping and that sort of thing. I think there's huge efficiencies to be gained there, and people do their work faster, which means I can see more clients and, and that side of things. But, um, yeah, again, sort of backing up your point on, on the price of a subscription, it isn't just the, the dollar figure you pay for that. You know, online subscriptions, like let's take zero, for example. Some people can't get their heads around 50 bucks a month, but oh my goodness, the hours it'll save you um, using Excel or downloading bank statements and all this sort of stuff. You don't need to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch gears a little bit. So um, in broad terms, uh, I like to talk about modernization of um, healthcare and you deal with a number of healthcare clients as well. You, you also have non-healthcare clients, but in broad terms, um, some of the key things that you've got an interesting framework for um, measures of uh, success. I was picking up on uh, some of your communication that, you know, you've got key measures around how many family holidays your clients are having, you know, mm-hmm. what sort of social impact is being made, how many freedom days uh, are being achieved, as an example, in addition to things like, you know, reductions in bad debt and saving uh, or freeing up cash flow, your tax savings and profit, which are probably you know, more cornerstone mm. kind of metrics around accounting. But tell me more about the holiday, the family holidays, the freedom days and the social impact because I, I, I think that really sets you apart actually on how you're thinking about the why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we, we consider ourselves numbers people, um, but at the same time we, we reckon family is number one. 
And so we, we want to keep that in mind when we're looking to work with business owners and, and even when I approach running uh, Inspire as well. And this has happened throughout my life. I'm not definitely not perfect and I don't think I've got it perfect now. But, um, you know, we often think that we go into business to provide ourselves or our families the freedom uh, of money and time and all this sort of thing. What often happens is we get into business and it's hard. I feel like you get punched in the face metaphorically. I hope it's limited to, but time after time when you sort of learn, hey, you know, hiring team and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and usually as business owners, we'll just pour hours and hours into it, you know, work big days. And, and often the whole reason why we went into business, which was to give more freedom to our family, is, is flipped and it, and it ends up working against us. And what we found is you know, look, looking at other people who run successful businesses and from a lifestyle perspective as well, we started to notice that, yeah, that they take time out of the business. And, and um, you know, don't judge me too much on this uh, because it's a great thing to work towards over time. Uh, but we want our clients to be taking you know, 12 weeks off a year, call it two to three at Christmas, you know, going on school holidays with the kids, things like that, just taking time out of the business. It's a great time for things to pop up and you, you realize systems that you need in place or you know what goes wrong when you walk out the door. Um, and often, if you address that when you return uh, with refreshed mind and refreshed energy, uh, then then you're actually making your business better in the process as well. That's from a sort of time and family perspective. But let's take the the money side of things as well. You know, what we sort of notice, business owners, is you, you tend to put every dollar straight back into the business. You might take money out to put food on the table, um, but you you basically put your all your eggs in one basket from a, a wealth creation perspective. Uh, where you, your biggest asset, you know, might be your house, but also you, you think it's your business, um, which um, you know is, is also a relatively big risk uh, if you're banking on that in the long term. So we encourage our clients to um, you know take some profit out of their business and make sure they're they're investing that wisely over the time that they're running the business, so that they've also got a nest egg that they're building up. Yes, there's superannuation, but there's also investments outside of super that you need to sort of consider and to make sure that um, yeah you're not just all, all doing it for, for nothing yeah i think that's the difference between business or busyness you know there are mm. there are a lot of people who are just busy and they're not necessarily really getting anywhere if anything you know they may actually even be better off just uh, taking a job somewhere when you factor in all the cost and some of the risk that they're taking on so I think, um, you know, having the right mindset around why the business is in place, what the goals are for every hat that you wear. So, you know, you're, um, you might be uh, one of the key employees in the business, but you also are an owner of the business. So they're two different mindsets. As an owner, you have a certain set of goals. As an employee in the business, you have another set of goals. I think that gets embellished a lot. You know, people kind of uh, aren't taught to think that way. And I think that's why it's important to have that commercial advice, you know, where somebody's looking at it from the outside in rather than, you know, from the inside out. And I think often um, business owners are a bit too hard on on themselves or, um, you know, potentially don't pay themselves first. And the thing that can kind of hurt if you're in a bit of a tough spot is, you know, looking at your own role in the business and how many hours you're committing, what you're getting paid, all this sort of stuff. And just thinking, if you were working for someone else, would you be happy with what you were sort of taking out or how you're being, how you're treating yourself? So that's something that you need to sort of keep in mind and um, and make sure you, that you're getting what you essentially deserve uh, out of the business. That's another thing I've uh, kind of observed over the years in, in business is that Australia is an amazing place. You know, it's a great country. It puts a lot of effort into rights and equality and, you know, getting everything right for the people. 
but I feel as though the business owner doesn't get really a lot. <laughs> there seems to be, you know, I mean, an employee has the annual leave, has the superannuation guarantee, has the personal leave, has the compassionate leave, has the, you know, volunteering at the fire brigade leave and so on and so forth. There's an incredible amount of support for the concept of an employee. But to your point, nobody really asks the business owner, have you had leave? You know, yeah, are you yeah. getting paid a minimum return, you know, a minimum wage or a minimum level of income? So the business owner carries all of this risk. And yet for some reason in Australia, we tend to look at business owners as somehow being in this privileged position. And yet it's quite the opposite, isn't it? Because there's a lot of risk in business in Australia in particular. Huge. Yep, yeah, that, that's right. And I think um, often, you know, the, the, the people who are doing well and essentially judged for that, they haven't been observed through the really tough times. And I've never met anyone who's uh, in anywhere near what I would consider successful that hasn't actually been through some really tough times, like whether it's close to bankruptcy or tough business or um, you know, times when teams walked out or all this sort of thing. So, yeah, I think uh, you've got to look at the whole journey. <laughs> Absolutely. Why don't we sort of start at the beginning, uh, you know, when somebody's thinking about setting up either a new health practice um, or a new health tech venture, what should yeah. they be thinking about, Ben? When you're starting a business, uh, some of the things to consider are your business structure. So a lot of people kind of go to the easiest <laughs> way, which is to sort of become a sole trader. But um, at Inspire, we think that's a pretty risky business. Uh, and um, you know, so, some things you need to consider is maybe look at trusts or companies and how from day one you can get a bit of a corporate structure set up behind you. Um, now, there's a couple of benefits of that. Um, usually, they're way more flexible from a tax perspective and they'll end up saving you uh, more tax than the, the structure costs you in, in setup fees and accounting fees. But the other big thing as well is they, they put a layer of defence in place from an asset protection perspective so that, you know, if you're a sole trader and, and you know, let's say something bad happens in the business and you end up getting sued, they're not suing you personally and any assets that you own, like, you know, let's say the home, the family home, aren't being brought into this sort of legal battle. It sort of sits aside as a separate entity in a company with trust that's structured well, and you get that layer of um, asset protection, which is great. Um, so that's kind of like the, the foundational part. You obviously need to think of um, accounting records and, and, and a system behind that, like, um, for instance, Zero. We like them at Inspire um, you know, to sort of have that layer of bookkeeping and, and financial uh, record keep. That's sort of a, a couple of things to, to consider from, from that perspective. I think I have the answer for this, but um, and just to uh, get your sense of it. So when should somebody be thinking about their own personal asset protections um, when they're starting a business? Yeah, so, so that would be definitely in that structuring part. And, and like the twofold, you, you've got to consider when you've got a director uh, of the business or the person running the business, um, we don't actually like them holding any personal assets in their own name because the, you know, let's say the business is sued and, and they're successful in ending up suing the person personally, we don't want to have the family home lost or, or any other investments in their own name. That can all be structured through a spouse's name, as an example, or in company or trusts um, that, that are set up well for the family. And kind of the second part of that is also making sure your estate planning incorporates all that sort of thing. Estate planning is more than just a will. 
Um, you need to consider what happens with company assets, trust assets, what happens with your super. And uh, yeah, in, in terms of a, a good time to have all that in place, uh, that's absolutely, you should have that in place before you go into business. And you need to check it that it still makes sense as you start setting up all the the structures in running of the business as well. It, it's quite complex stuff, and um, but um, yeah, you, and you need to be working with an accountant who understands. They don't need to do the actual estate planning themselves, but they definitely need to understand and work in with the lawyers on um, on how it all works. Yeah, that's um, it's really good advice. I think um, the sooner the better. If you're planning a business, you want to try and get that personal risk understood and put action plans in place. Because you've got these other dynamics in the legal regulatory framework as well, where even if you do change something that was in your name, depending mm-hmm. on what you're doing and how you're doing it, there may be clawback provisions that relate yeah. to those changes. So, you know, the sooner you get those things done, the easier it is to uh, transcend the clawback timeframes in the event that the business didn't go well over the next three, four, five years, for example, where you know, a liquidator or an administrator could actually reach back and grab some of those assets in some way. That's right. Um, You know, we say to clients that there's a a four and a half year timer that starts for any related party transactions. Um, So, you you know, let's say you go and move your half of the house into your spouse's name, you know, that could easily be unwound for up to four and a half years. And so, you know, when, when we sort of meet with clients for the first time and we sort of educate them through some of this stuff, and they start to freak out with, look, you know, you're in a very normal situation. A lot of people don't have this knowledge, um, but we want to keep this in mind for future purchases. You know, if you sell your house, let's get let's buy it in the right name moving forward uh, and any other investments that you've got. You know, we had a client a couple of years ago who moved his half of the house into his wife's name. It cost him 12 grand in stamp duty, but, um, you know, he, he wanted that protection. You know, it, it was worth more to him. It's almost like an insurance policy that the, the 12 grand in stamp duty uh, was that insurance policy that he wanted, knowing that if anything went bad, that um, his half a million dollar share of that house is uh, protected. That's kind of the whole point, isn't it, is to get informed and that way you can look at the costs and benefits of making a decision one way or the other. And so getting that expert advice, not just at the start, but also during the evolution of the business, because the business will grow, right? It'll go from, mm. you know, the first uh, owner-operator to the first staff member to potentially partnership to potentially, you know, taking on very large clients and, you know, having more complex agreements to be uh, bound by and and to work with. There's a lot of evolution that happens through the life of a business. Mm. So it's good to actually have somebody who's looking at it from the outside in consistently through the journey yeah yeah absolutely and at each one of those points you mentioned there's there's all sorts of things to consider uh, and you know changes to your structure or adding on to your structure that's all um you know completely normal in a sense but um, as the business owner um you definitely need to be working with someone who can guide you through uh, things to think about at each step I, th- I guess there's the other dynamic as well is that you know government changes gears on occasions and, uh, you know, changes laws and sometimes they're retroactive and other times they're from a given date and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of moving targets. Business is getting tougher and tougher in some ways. There's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of uh, moving parts. You know, you've got privacy to think about. You've got employment law to think about, uh, workplace health and safety. You've got indemnities, uh, you know, to think through. Each of these sort of uh, legislative uh, type of frameworks 
they're also iterating as well. They're making changes based on, you know, case law, common law type precedents, petition for changes and so on and so forth. It's kind of just thinking about what you've been going through with um, the stimulus programs that have been coming out from government to support businesses affected through COVID-19. That's more an acute change in uh, the environment. There'd be a lot of value for businesses in having somebody who really understands those things and is able to translate them very quickly to give effect to whatever the benefit is or whatever the support is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, let's take the tax laws, for example. They change quite often. You know, we usually get annual changes with the, the federal budget that's announced in May. But then, yeah, COVID-19 is an example where, you know, we're hearing um, announcements on the TV on a Sunday afternoon and we need to advise clients Monday morning on this stuff means. And, you know, that's definitely a challenge. But, um, you know, so there's sort of a couple of examples. But, um, you know, even with trusts and companies, They've been changing the company tax rate, um, you know, for the last seven or eight years, what seems, uh, and, and also changes with trusts. Um, you know, the, the rules have tightened up a lot when it comes to, you know, family trusts or discretionary trusts, uh, and, uh, you know, you need to make sure that you're doing the right things each year when it comes to distributions and, and, and just making sure that it's by the book um, because I think there's a few ticking time bombs that, that exist for um trusts in general that we, we need to make sure the paperwork sitting behind it is spot on. That's really good high-level guidance there for people to actually look into that in, in more detail because a lot yeah. of those changes tend to happen in the background and um, mm-hmm. they come up to bite you uh, when you least expect it. Yeah, it's, a, it's another layer of that precarious side of uh, being in business um, where, yep. you know, you just got a, you got a few balls in the air constantly that you're trying to juggle getting the right support, the right advice through the whole experience is, um, uh, I think, absolutely key in this day and age. Even if you haven't done it through the startup, there's always there's always no mm-hmm. time like the present to actually review things and go through it. Absolutely. We tend to lean a lot more in business around sales and marketing, don't we, as opposed to thinking about um, defence. You know, it's, it's more um, offence. You know, it's like, what are we going to do to grow the business and push forward? Mm-hmm. But uh, that defensive side is pretty key as well. Should a business owner be biased one way or the other or perhaps be a little bit more balanced? You know, what would you be recommending for, for clients to be thinking about? Yeah, I, I think it's great to, to keep an eye on both. I don't think any business has been successful, you know, cutting expenses and, you know, working their way out of a hole through cutting expenses. Like I think that's a little bit limited, but um, but then I've seen, you know, business owners be the total opposite. You know, let's spend as much as we can on sales and marketing and we'll grow out of it. Um, but, you know, what um, I've even experienced myself and, and what I see time and time is that, um, you know, growth for the sake of growth is uh, cancer. And so often it can actually be detrimental to the business and, and we can sort of get this unsustainable growth where, you know, we're spending ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month on, on marketing and sales and it might not be returning or returning enough but then we've got other problems that pop up, like dealing with capacity and having to hire people, and we end up chasing our tails. So, you know, my personal perspective is uh, you need to set targets in your business that are sustainable. Yes, you can have these big campaigns throughout the year, um, but you know, how, how many clients or, or you know uh, people do you need to see, or do your the team need to see each week to make it super sustainable and that you can grow? That's pretty important. Um, and the other thing as well that, that I find interesting is um, from an expense trimming exercise, I, I think it's actually something that you need to do at least three months, every three months for your business. 
um, you know, often uh, we'll sign up for something or, you know, another subscription to something. And uh, what we'll find is that we, we can review our expenses and, and there's at least, you know, it depends on the business, but there's at least a couple of hundred, if not a couple of grand per month that you could trim back in unnecessary expenses or expenses that maybe aren't returning that value to you. Let's say you saved $2,000 a month if you did this for the first time and you found $2,000 per month in expenses that you could trim back on, then that's 24 grand a year. That's, you know, relatively huge to add on top of your, to your profit. So um, I even find every time I do it, I'm like, wow, I didn't expect to find that much. And it's just sort of you know, running out of your pocket, um, unfortunately. <laughs> in behavioral science, and behavior economics. There is a principle that has been found through some of the social science that once people make a purchase decision on subscriptions, they tend to not revisit it, um, uh, you know, <laughs> at all. And so, you know, we're living in a, a modern economy where everything is subscribable pretty much. I mean, there's, there's exceptions, of course, now, but on the main, there's, there was this concept that sort of came out with the rise of the Silicon Valley and all of this proliferation of um, tech innovation. There was a lot of analysis done on buying behavior in the context of um, technology. There was a time when you couldn't get software for a fee per month. You know, you had to pay a very large amount of dollars up front and then more dollars every year in maintaining and managing it and then having the professional services that came with it. So there was a lot of, a lot of barriers perceived to actually getting access to the benefits of technology. So the concept of subscription economy started to emerge going back probably a good 10 years ago now. And there was a lot of science that was backing that up and they uh, were starting to discover that when people made decisions to subscribe to something that they wouldn't revisit that purchase decision as compared to if you had to make that purchase decision every single time. So let's say you every, yeah. every month you had to decide whether you're going to spend that $150. You're actually making a purchase decision many, many times as compared to just choosing to pay $50 per month right from the outset and then you make that decision and move on. It's important to understand that um, a little bit more about ourselves as human beings that, uh, you know, ultimately we, we have to kind of revisit. As we change, we might have actually overapped. Might, we might have put too many systems in place because they sounded like a good idea at the time. We either haven't fully internalised them, like we haven't built our culture around them, um, or we're sort of underutilising, you know, the app. We're not really getting the full value. Or perhaps there's another app in the system that is actually doing the same thing as that other app. <laughs> you know, mm. we tend to... You know, repeat it. It's a bit like buying a coffee. You, you know, you, if you really enjoy buying coffee, you're going to go to different coffee makers throughout the day and have coffees. But I think software, in a way, tends to be that way. We kind of are attracted to the same functionality, but just in different products. So we can we can overwrap quite a bit um, in that as mm -hmm. well. Anyway, look, that's just a perspective on software. But um, there'd be other expenses in the PNL, wouldn't there? That would be bigger ticket items as well. What, what are kind of some usual suspects, you know, to be mindful of when you look at that kind of, you know, cost revision? You know, do we really need to be spending this? Well, that could be things definitely like software or another one is uh, if you've got team members, um, just make sure you're paying for the right amount of, of seats or licences for that software. That's another tricky one, especially when people leave. Some people don't afford and including myself have found that. So that's one to be mindful of. Um, you know, one that you, that's going to hurt culture, though, if you try to sort of trim the fat on that one, is your team members. Um, you know, you don't want to be necessarily just going home about firing people or reducing people's hours. That's not going to bode well, not only for that person, but 
I think that sends the wrong energy around the business. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the last thing I'd, I'd visit. You know, I'll, I'll even put it on the table. You know, look at your accounting fees. Are you actually getting value from it? Um, you know, all your advisors and business coaching, I can see sometimes on P&Ls is twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. You know, make sure you're getting the value out of it. Um, I think that's so important. What's a good yardstick, Ben? So when it comes to coaching and mentoring, because that's um, that's quite common uh, with a significant percentage of the healthcare market. There's a lot of professional development that goes on. What should you expect to get back on, say, that 20k spend? You know, what is it? Two to one, three to one? Is it measured in a different way? Great question, and I, and I definitely think this is. Um you know, so relevant to the actual type of coaching in your business. But uh, I would personally be wanting to, to see something like a 10 to 1 ROI on, uh, on sort of coaching like that. You know, here's some perspective. You know, some coaches are, are, are awesome. Um, you know, there's a lot of, this is like any industry, there's a lot of sharks out there as well. Um, but there's some coaches and, and I've heard some feedback that without that coach there, there would be no business. To a degree, you can't really put a price on that. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be silly with how you, you know, calculate your 10 to 1 ratio, but I, I definitely think they'd be earning their money um, you know, charging that sort of figure. Yeah, so that's that's my perspective on it. Because that's quite a that, that could be quite a big line item when you think about it. When you look at your P&L, if you ranked it by the highest expenditure down to the lowest expenditure, that might be another way to actually look at the big ticket items and see whether you can be more efficient in some of those areas. But more often than not, it's going to be people in your business, right? That's probably going to be the biggest yes. expense line item. Yeah, that that's right. And I said sort of leave that to last, but you know, but at the same time, you know, if, if they, you've got an underperformer in the business or someone who's just causing trouble, then you know, as a leader in the business, you, you have to deal with that. Otherwise, that's going to just become part of your culture. So, um, you know, if you need to do some rejigging of team, then I'm not saying don't do it. You know, absolutely do that because then you need to look after your business first rather than, you know, any single team member who's behaving badly. Yeah. I think another thing that comes to mind as well is um, just getting that cash flow dynamic figured out so that you're actually staying ahead of um, the cash expenditure that's coming out of the business particularly when it comes to things like compliance cycles, like you've got your BAS, you've got your superannuation, yeah. PAYG withholding, for example. They're things that um, I, I hear from time to time, you know, small business owners who they don't, they don't plan ahead. They're kind of flying by the yeah. set of their pants and, you know, the, uh, you know, the lodgement comes up and, you know, the debt is due and we'll figure it out, mm. you know, based on this month's um, turnover or next month's turnover. That's not a good way to be, is it? No, no. And, and from a cash flow management perspective, you know, a lot of our clients say that they're not numbers people and, and, and you know, they don't do well with you know, all the, the, the dollars. And what's human nature is our tendency to spend everything that's in the account. Um, and, and so when you get these quarterly tax bills or annual tax bills and things like that, that they can often catch you off guard if you haven't got systems set up in place. You know, one of the things we advocate for is setting up a system where you've got multiple different bank accounts throughout the month, or you, you even got this set up on direct debit that you've got a certain amount going out each week or each month into these savings accounts for the purpose of tax or, you know, for the, the purpose of a rainy day fund. You know, we've got clients who, you know, got to the start of this COVID-19 thing. They rang us so grateful saying, hey, thank you for a year ago telling me to set up that bank account. And, you know, I've got 50 grand sitting there for this rainy day and the rainy day. Um, and, you know, that, that's the difference between you know, a, a happy client who's able to survive this easily versus someone who hasn't got that cash buffer there 
Um, and, you know, we're almost in damage control trying to work out how they get through the next few months. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some practical things you can do. You know, again, paying yourself first, don't pay yourself last. That sends the wrong signal to yourself. You've got your own family to provide for, but you've also got the families of the, the team members and you can't do that without putting the oxygen on yourself first. Um, so you need to make sure you, you're looked after. If you're listening to this and you, and you are sort of running the business week to week when it comes to cash, it can be hard thinking about having 50 grand in an account just sitting there or you know, paying your bass in full. Like it, it's a difficult concept, but just start. Start with you know, 100 bucks a week going into an account or 1,000 if you can afford it. But just um, start that behaviour and then dial up that slowly and slowly. And you kind of won't notice that over time when you increase the cash flow going into those savings accounts. What I like to kind of lift out here is that in the context of healthcare, healthcare is, uh, you know, looking after the um, health outcomes of people, but Mm. then it's inevitably also a business because you just cannot do anything in Australia without it having some sort of economic relevance, unless you're in the black market or something, I guess, but even that's got (laughs) its own economy, hasn't it? Mm. But uh, yeah, it's a business. It's a business. And, um, And so, you know, when you look at the opportunity with um, digital health innovations these days, there's so many ways to actually implement systems and automations and cultural transformation that actually scale the business better than just being a totally manual business or, you know, kind of just leaving the admin till, uh, you know, the last minute. I, I think there's a really strong connection and it's part of the reason why I wanted to get you on, Ben. It's a really strong connection between how we modernise healthcare but how we actually run the business of healthcare better. Do you have any guidance or suggestions based on some of the experience that you have with healthcare customers around how they could actually use a chartered accountant, so to speak, to actually help grow the business of healthcare? Yeah. Um, well, from an advisor perspective, uh, you know, the, the feedback an accountant could give you is, uh, you know, having a look at the key numbers in your business and, and having a look at, let's say, from a sales perspective, what you need to hit every week in sales to just pay the bills and that's it. We call that almost like we have like a traffic light system of our um, of our sales targets internally, but we also share this uh, strategy with our clients. What's sort of the bare minimum you need to provide for the business? And then what's our orange level target and our green target? Sort of maybe that's driven by what, what you could turn over from a capacity perspective or what a great target would be to, um, you know, have a decent profit at the end of the month. And a good accountant would be able to help you work that out. And um, so that's not like a huge, you know, one-day planning session or anything like that. That can um, be done with a, within a couple of hours with the client usually. That kind of gives you some numbers to focus on and uh, and you can also get your team involved in, in helping you achieve those targets. Uh, other ways we can help is on a practical level with that cash flow planning. So, you know, making sure your bank accounts are set up properly and you know what, how much to put away in into those accounts each month so that you know you can pay your tax bills in full. That's a huge game changer for our clients, um, which is cool. Uh, and um, you know, even from a, a organization piece, we've actually got a few that use Core Plus, and, and I know that their systems are a lot better than people who are just stuck in paper. You compare that to an accounting firm who's just bogged down in paper files and, and, and that sort of thing um, versus, you know, the extent of my tools, are the, the MacBook Pro sitting on my desk, like everything is online for us now. And there's massive efficiencies to, to that come with that. Even over the last sort of three to four months, I've been going through our, our business and working out how can we um, just even improve on our processes 
uh, you know, reviewing the software that we're using to, to help. And even right from the start of Inspire, I found that, um, you know, through automation and through software that's available to us, we can almost save a full-time administration person with the the help that that can give you. Um, things like Zapier or Zapier, depending on how you, you call it, can connect all your software together. And you can repurpose that admin team member for something that's much higher level and, and you know, practice management, that, that side of things, um, which is kind of cool. So, um, yeah, they're kind of a, a bit of an oversight in, in how a good accountant or a good advisor can sort of share that sort of second opinion on your business. I'm, I'm a strong believer that um, we have to always look at what's burning our activity. You know, if something's burning a lot of our mm. time, then it's ultimately that's the highest cost. And so if we can use systems to actually do uh, streamline workflows and automations, then that gives us more cash to be able to invest in delivering better outcomes in terms of healthcare. And it's kind of as you were talking about that, I was thinking about what most health practitioners are trying to achieve, which is basically gaining adherence and commitment from their clients towards the goals that they're looking for. So in a way, that's exactly what you're saying as well. It's just you're kind of the the business health advisor, so to speak, mm. whilst they're the actual person health advisor in that context. So everyone's got goals and if we've got to stick to that, we've got to find ways to actually engage with that over a long period of time so that the business is as healthy as possible. And if the business is healthy, then their healthcare is going to be the best it can be, you know, for the clients yeah. that it serves as well. So, Ben, thank you uh, very much for uh, taking the time out today and uh, giving us some of your uh, advice and guidance. I know accountants uh, always cringe at the word advice, so I'd probably rephrase that, but thanks for your insights. And, uh, you know, there's always the qualification, oh, well, I'm not really giving advice right now, but, you know, subject to this. But you've been great at actually sharing generously some of your insights. And we're going to have some links to Inspire CA. Uh, We're going to encourage our listeners to take a look at your website and uh, connect with you because uh, you're a very impressive uh, marketer and communicator online. You've got a book there about how to manage cash flow. You've got a great blog site going on. You do some uh, podcasting and media yourself which i think people should be listening to so uh, it's a real honor and a privilege ben thanks for taking the time thanks so much again for having me on yanni talk to you again soon thanks for listening this podcast is produced in collaboration with health tech x where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people if you'd like more info on how to get involved head over to the website healthtechx.com .com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.